Hi friends, Fred Harrell here. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly City Church Sermon Podcast. Just a note that as we continue to shelter in place here in San Francisco, we will be bringing you our Sunday Sermon audio recording via Skype over a Facebook Live broadcast. So if the audio quality seems like a little lower than normal, then now you know what's happening. We just wanted you to know. You can join us on Facebook Live each Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening and subscribing to our podcast. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to John. A reading from John chapter 14. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. And now a reading from John chapter 16. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask now that you would meet us here, that the spirit of truth that was just read about in John chapter 14, and the spirit that continues to teach us that we learned about in John 16 would be present with us now, that we would be open to this presence, that we would even see this moment as sacred and holy, one that you have seen put to put together, that we are here right now because you have made that happen. Help us to see and know and believe that you see us in all of our complexity and all the ways that we get it right and all the ways we don't get it right and all the ways in which we are beautiful and all the ways in which we are fragmented. You see all of it and your response is always to move towards us, to heal, to restore and renew. Give us grace to believe all of that and to trace that to the work of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, years ago, there was this fantastic article in The Atlantic written by a man named David Hodju, and he was writing about the state of jazz in America today. Um, And to do this, he thought he'd do a little research, and so he went to this very famous jazz joint in New York City. I'm sure many of you have been to it, the Village Vanguard. And when he walked in, um, he saw a trumpet player in the very back, and he swore it looked just like Wynton Marsalis, but it couldn't be. So he asked the person next to him, is that Wynton Marsalis? The guy said, as not a chance he's here tonight. But Haju writes then, I can now see it. It was indeed Marsalis. He played a ballad. I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you, unaccompanied. 
written by Victor Young, a film score composer for 1930s romance. The piece can bring out the sadness in any scene, and Marsalis appeared deeply attuned to its melancholy. He performed the song in murmurs and sighs, at points nearly taking the talking the words in notes. It was a wrenching act of creative expression. When he reached the climax, Marsalis played the final phrase, the title statement, in declarative tones, allowing each successive note to linger in the air a bit longer. I don't stand a ghost of a chance. The room was silent until at the most dramatic point, someone's cell phone went off blaring a, rape, rape, a, a, a rapid sing-song melody in electronic bleeps. People started giggling and picking up their drinks. The moment, the whole performance unraveled. Marsalis poised for a beat, motionless, and his eyebrows arched. I scrawled on a sheet of notepaper, magic ruined. <clears throat> what a story. That's how these disciples must have felt at this point in what is now called the farewell discourse, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. That began with Jesus transforming the Passover meal, washing the disciples' feet and giving them a new command to love one another, even as he had loved them. But now he's talking of leaving, or rather, he's talking of being apprehended, put through a sham trial and crucified on a Roman cross reserved for those perceived to be a threat to the empire and to the religious status quo. The disciples understandably hate this kind of talk. Peter famously says to Jesus, may it never be. Jesus famously says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Wow, magic ruined indeed in that moment. Jesus knows what is to come, and the truth is not always convenient. Now, a quick textual note before we continue. The verb translated he throughout this passage to refer to the spirit is actually neutral. It could be translated in the kind of the prison of the English language, what we have to work with, as he, she, or it. In the Old Testament, over 30 times, the Spirit of God is depicted as feminine. All male translation committees over the years leave that out. So using feminine God language is not changing the text, but restoring the text to its original beauty. So we're not going, so we're going to be biblical here and lean in that direction. So when we talk about the spirit of truth, um, so everyone, not just the boys, uh, knows they are seen by God who identifies with everyone, male, female, and for those who don't fit neatly into either male or female constructs. So the spirit of truth, we are going to say today, she points, she supports, and she continues to guide. First of all, she points, but to what? She points to Jesus and Jesus' way of love. In verse 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What exactly are those commandments? Now, remembering the chapters and the verses are just later additions. Don't forget that Jesus is still speaking in the same moment after he gave the commandment in John 13, after having washed the disciples' feet. I give you a new commandment. He says in John 13, 34 and 35, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of my favorite theologian names is Hans Urs von Balthasar. Nice, huh? 
Swiss theologian, Catholic priest. He said this, love alone is credible. Nothing else can be believed and nothing else ought to be believed. You can find that in his book by that title, Love Alone is Credible. This same writer, the Apostle John, uh, will write in 1 John 4 later, anyone who does not love does not know God. And then probably the, the most important four words John ever wrote down in his life, for God is love. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in God's love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. Gail O'Day, in her masterful commentary on John, puts it this way. The work of the paraclete, which is what Jesus will call the Spirit, the work of the paraclete is thus to keep the truth of Jesus present to the world after Jesus' departure. And so the Spirit's first job is to point always to Jesus and His commandment, His mandate, His way of love. That's the commandment, to take up our cross and love radically, which is hard. I pretty much fail at it on the daily. Love is vulnerable making, and I'd rather not always be vulnerable. Love requires trust, and I'm sometimes naturally suspicious. Love spills over margins and boundaries, and I feel safer and holier policing my borders. Love takes time and effort and discipline and transformation, and I'm just so overwhelmed with life sometimes that I don't know how to even envision these things. But Jesus doesn't suggest that we love. He commands it. Love one another as I have loved you, which really puts a fine point on it. Because that means we have to love for real, as in the bona fide whole package, authentic feeling, honest engagement, generous action. Love moves us to a place where we are called to love the unlovable, where we love those who mean us, mean us harm, where we love those who do not love us, where we embrace the hard, the hurting, the abused, where we are open to those who will actually speak ill against us, where we move in circles we never thought we'd be moving in, where we move past our comfort zone and enter into dangerous places. Loving our others is hard, yet love is a wonder. Love alone is credible. God help us to do this. And I'm glad you've brought that up because God does actually help us. Jesus promises the advocate, the spirit of truth, to enable and to be by our side and on our side. But before we get to this, let's just make a few applications about loving each other right now. As we shelter in place, what does love require? Laura Turner, who I hope is watching right now, city churcher, woo, woo, proud pastor moment, sorry, um, in a beautiful piece in Time Magazine, brings up the story of Cain and Abel in her article entitled, The Best Way to Love Your Neighbor Right Now is to Stay Home. Laura writes, in the aftermath of murdering his brother Abel, Cain is poised, is posed a simple question by God. Where is your brother Abel? God asks. Cain, we imagine him here as a sullen teenager, which perhaps he was, responds with a question of his own. I do not know, he says. Am I my brother's keeper? It's an insubordinate question, a trick of a young man trying to shirk responsibility and hide a dark secret. Now, I think you know how Jesus would answer that question. Laura writes, 
After Cain asks God about being his brother's keeper, God responds with thunder. Quote, listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Unquote. Laura then concludes, if I were to do anything to add to that number of those infected with COVID-19, the blood of those who died would cry out from the ground. By sacrificing our own routines and maybe even briefly our senses of identity, we keep our brothers and sisters safe, unquote. Strong medicine, huh? But if we cannot connect, but if we can connect the inconvenience and the mask wearing and the physical distancing and the juggling of crazy schedules and all the other challenges of sheltering in place, if we could match those and align those and connect those to the way of love that Jesus has called us to as an expression of that, we can do this, friends. We can do it as an act of discipleship. And we can encourage others, perhaps friends and family in other locations in the country who are being bombarded daily with conspiracy theories and horrible science to do the same. In a country that has managed to politicize even a virus, which doesn't care about party politics, I'm imagining the way of love the Spirit points us to is going to be challenging and will require a lot of imagination because the Spirit is creative. And not to be too Corona-focused today, but mask wearing is something we do for others. My mask protects you and your mask protects me. It's not only a legitimate way to stop the spread of germs, but it also communicates, and this is my real point, our care for others. It's a way of entering into the way of Jesus's love as we sacrifice to love others around us. Because as one man puts it, the choice not to wear a mask doesn't communicate that you're okay with getting sick. It communicates that you're okay with getting others sick. And that's a violation of love. That's from an unholy spirit. The spirit of truth, she points us to the way of love. Because as Victor Hugo said in Les Mis, to love another person is to see the face of God. Mm. I actually have a pastor friend who joked on Facebook the other day. He said, they will know we are Christians by our mask, by our mask. I'll stop there. On to the second point. So the spirit, she, she points us to the way of Jesus, but also she supports us as we seek to live this way out. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees nor knows her. You know her because she abides with you and she will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. I wonder if Jesus heard an audible groan when he told them, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, <laughs> knowing how hard that would be. And immediately Jesus started on a recurring theme in this farewell discourse. He will send the Spirit. Now, as I said, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the paraclete. Other words to, to fill that in would be companion or advocate or helper or comforter. It literally means to come alongside, to be their defender. You know what this is like. You do this in your own life, I'm sure. You know someone's going through a hard time and you reassure them, I'm here for you. So the Spirit says, I am not only by your side, I am on your side. You're going to make it. I'm going to help you. 
I'm not here to accuse you. No, that's what the unholy spirit does. I'm here to defend you. You've got someone in your corner, and it's me, the Holy Spirit. Now, the question becomes, how do you experience this, actually? Somebody might be saying right now, what are you talking about, Fred? Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you how I've experienced this. And it's not when I'm reading about it. It's not when I'm preaching about it like I am right now. It's not when I'm doing telling others to love others. I experience the advocacy of the Holy Spirit most when I actually love radically. When I risk, when I risk my reputation, physical and emotional comfort, money, when I embrace discomfort on behalf of others, that's when I have experienced the advocacy of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's in the very doing of the way of love that you will know the advocacy and presence of the Spirit who supports and defends and empowers. Now, for some of you, advocacy is your very life. I'm looking at you, Liz Aleman. I'm looking at you, Sam O. I'm looking at you, Margot Pumor. I'm looking at you, Karen Skiles. I'm looking at you, whoever you are, who advocate and come alongside others in time of need as an actual vocation. But it's also the vocation of any Jesus follower. Jesus promises you will know the Spirit in a more profound way as you actually do it. We don't have to do the impossible on our own. Jesus' desire is not that we burn ourselves out trying to conjure love from our own meager resources. Rather, his commandment is accompanied by a promise. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. Because the Spirit's resources are inexhaustible. And long after our natural stores are depleted, the Spirit of God will love in, among, and through us. So, hard questions. How are we called to advocate in this moment? How do we do this now while sheltering in place, when the most loving thing to do is not actually to wash one another's feet right now? How do we find new and creative ways to show and express love for one another and for our neighbors? I mean, we're doing it in big and small ways as we seek creative pathways to stay connected, to check in on one another, to deliver meals and serve meals to the most vulnerable as we pastor and counsel one another. All those things are great, but there's also more. I think, and I think this as I say, and I also hope it at the same time, that the Spirit is stirring right now to show us how completely interconnected we are. This global pandemic is symbolizing this like never before. This pandemic is, as I said, no respecter of persons, races, denominations, genders. We are all in this together. God didn't cause this, but God will use this to raise up creative and imaginative thinking and caring. I'm trying to believe that in faith, and I ask you to as well. Specifically, in the light of ongoing murders of black and brown-skinned bodies, in light of the racism our Asian American siblings are facing on a regular basis, we are being challenged to advocate, to do the work of God's Spirit, by interrogating our own complicities with white supremacy, and to ask a very 
Jesus-y question, and that is a word, Jesus-y. What does the gospel require of me to stand in solidarity with those who Jesus loves and weeps over right now? We will continue to offer classes and resources around that question to grow and become the church we aspire to be because we have a long way to go. It's easy and it's convenient, honestly, for me to say this from the comfort of my own dining room table. (laughs) What does it mean for me? What does it mean for you to use your power and privilege to bring real change to the lived experience of our siblings who are being hurt and who feel so unsafe? Now, this is really challenging, right? Nadia Bowles-Weber wrote this. The Holy Spirit, while called the Comforter, does not bring the warm chocolate chip cookies and a night-night story kind of comfort. The Spirit brings the comfort of the truth. And if you've had any experience of the truth whatsoever, you can testify that it's not exactly cozy. Truer words. The Spirit of Truth. She will support us. She will advocate for us as we do the work together of awakening to the systems and structures that harm our friends around us. And then lastly, she teaches. She teaches us that this way of love expands, not contracts, but expands. Over in John 16, in the separate reading, second reading, in this same discourse, Jesus says something often forgotten, it seems to me. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. The Spirit, she will guide you into all the truth. Jesus held out on the disciples because they weren't ready to hear what he had to say. Fascinating, huh? So here we have Jesus saying, I have all these things to you that you can't bear, but that's okay. The Spirit will be along to guide you. She's a good and trustworthy guide. I'm not leaving you alone. We are going to be all right. Which tells me, that because of this ongoing teaching of the Spirit, we must be always holding our faith with a generous and open hand, with humility, and expect to have a lot of course corrections individually and as a church. Psychologist and author David Myers reminds us, religion that forgets that we see through a glass dimly is vulnerable to becoming delusional and dangerous. Those are Paul's words, maybe Paul's most forgotten words ever, as he described that our spiritual experience from a Christian standpoint should be so humble that we say we see through a glass dimly. Can you imagine a world where people associate Christian faith with those of the people who see through a glass dimly? Those are the people who know they don't know it all. Those are the people who are known for listening to the experience of others. Those are the ones who have cognitive flexibility in light of new information. Mm. Let's pray that everyone will one day think that about the community of Jesus. I don't think they do now. We aspire at City Church to be that community for people. Lives hang in the balance. The story of Scripture has a lot of prejudice, discrimination, and animosity. But we have many movements within Scripture where the Spirit moves God's people towards openness, welcome, inclusion, acceptance, and affirmation. And we have a long history of this as a church. Pastor friend of mine named Stan Mitchell recently wrote, Pastoral ministry and hearing the experiences of others will always drive us back to the text to ask, are we reading this text faithfully 
in our present context of location and time. From the Gentile inclusion to slavery, from our understanding of the cosmos to women's rights, from interracial marriage to divorce, we, talking about the Christian church, have a long list of, quote, we were wrongs, unquote, in our history. This history of correction should remind us that at the base of our hermeneutic or approach to scripture should be a loving humility that is always willing to hear Jesus say, you heard it say, but I say unto you. That's the spirit of truth she teaches us. You know, I think today's sermon is the first one I've preached since COVID-19 that isn't mostly about comforting you today as I comfort myself. I'm sensing a need to pivot just a bit. Not away from comfort, not away from care, not away from the full court press that we're doing um, in our church to, to come alongside and cry and mourn with you as we have done all these eight weeks and to listen to one another, to hold our anxiety together, all these things, none of that stops. But also to say today, your Jesus following has not been interrupted or discontinued. Your Jesus following has not been interrupted or discontinued. It marches on. We have important work to do. When Jesus talked about dying, the disciples thought it was the beginning of the end. I wonder if we have those thoughts too. I'm trying to believe, along with you, that resurrection is always being birthed out of death. Let's be here for one another, for our city, as we listen to the spirit of truth. You know, that story I told you at the very beginning about Wenton Marsalis, there's more to it. The cell phone offender scooted into the hall as the chatter in the room grew louder, Haji writes. Still frozen at the microphone, Marsalis replayed the silly cell phone melody note for note. Then he repeated it and began improvising variations on the tune. The audience slowly came back to him. In a few minutes, he resolved the improvisation, which had changed keys once or twice and throttled down to a ballad tempo. It ended up exactly where he had left off. With you, the ovation was tremendous. What a metaphor for what Christian spirituality looks like. The Spirit is playing the song of beauty, the song of liberation, the song of hope, the song of resurrection, the song of equity, the song where everyone has enough and everyone is loved. In our fear, in our fragile humanity, we get caught up in different songs of greed, violence, acquisition, coercion, exclusion, but the Spirit, she takes our broken songs and weaves them back into her song over and over. Thanks be to God. Amen.